Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Rebecca Lynch is out this week. We look forward to having her back next week before the holidays for our, I think our final show before the holidays, but we'll see. Yes, definitely our final show before the holidays, but uh, we hope uh, she is well. But we are joined by Robert Craig. As always, he's a stalwart here at the Battleground, our Executive Director, Robert. Robert, good to see you. Uh, great to be here, Matt. So we are going to have uh, some guests this week. Um, we'll be joined by Joel Lewis, our organizer for the North Central Wisconsin Organizing Cooperative. Joel will talk a little bit about the listening sessions that our Governor-elect Tony Evers and Light Governor Mandela Barnes are uh, traveling the state doing. Um, we'll also be joined by Jorna Taylor, a former panelist here at the Battleground. Jorna's helping head up the inaugural events for Tony Evers, and so she'll come on and tell us a little bit about all the different activities are going on and how you could either volunteer or potentially, uh, obviously, attend the events and be a part of the inaugural. And there's multiple events, but we'll hear from Jorna. We'll also be joined by our member, Eric Genrich, also state rep current state rep representative from the Green Bay area. Eric is running for mayor, so we'll talk to him a little bit about that. But Robert, let's get started. We need to continue to talk about the lame duck. Um, as of the recording here Thursday morning, Walker has not signed any of the bills or done any vetoes, um, but we did hear from him finally this week, and uh, the governor sounds like is basically saying that um, he supports most of what's in here. We might see a couple line item vetoes, um, but we are not expecting uh, anything, any miracles from the governor. Uh, so Robert, uh, just get your thoughts. And then after that, I do want to talk a little more detail about the early voting uh, pieces of the lame duck because we have more information. But just overall, any additional updates or thoughts on lame duck? So it's really important to understand that the kind of traditional model that we are, that came down to us from the founders of the country, that we would have independent statesmen, we've modernized that to stateswomen as well, and, and others, um, would independently judge based on the merit these piece of legislation, is not an appropriate model for understanding how Scott Walker thinks about these matters. The same right-wing conspiracy that has been underway and building power 50 years as behind Scott Walker's entire political career in which he was an agent of as governor is the same one that generated the, this theory of, of changing the rules before you lose power. Started in North Carolina, now Wisconsin, now Michigan. And so the very idea that he's, he, he has moral qualms about any of this or he has some sort of principles that would come into play is just absurd if you know anything about bo both the modern right in this country and also about Scott Walker. Now, might he do, as he has hinted at, some partial line item vetoes as a face-saving measure because he's politically ambitious? Absolutely. Could it be that Voss and Fitzgerald did some things that were not top tier? Uh, for the people behind all this nationally, for the whole Koch brother funding syndicate and all of the groups around it and, and right-wing thinkers around it? Possibly. But anything that's of extreme importance to them, such, for example, as restrictions in early voting, is probably happening. And Scott Walker is better seen as, an, as kind of an agent of these actors as a, instead of an independent actor that somehow is exercising some principal judgment based on some philosophy he may or may not have. Yeah, you know, it, you knew it wasn't good when when the governor starts talking about how Evers will 
be a really strong governor and this isn't really a power grab and all that. So you can already tell sort of where, where the guy is lining up uh, on this. But um, When they jump to the talking points right away. Yeah, and I'm surprised, actually. The one thing I'm surprised at is these bills haven't shown up on his desk quicker and this just didn't move quicker because all this is is more time to continue to talk about it and to continue to go into the details. And there's been a series of articles written over the last week or so that, that you know, take each piece and look at different sections. And a part of that, Robert, is that we are obviously very close to is the early voting uh, stuff that they rolled back. Well, so let me just say on this weird delay, yeah. I agree with you, Matt. I thought he would be in an anteroom ready to sign him yeah. at, at, at 2 in the morning. And I don't know. I know he was he was at the at, at the George H. W. Bush funeral, but nonetheless, he could have done it way sooner than this. And so I don't know for sure, but maybe this is a man who doesn't really give up power. He's in the limelight for another week. That's an excellent point, actually. I <laughs> really hadn't thought about that. That his last month, he could just be you know sort of thinking about these <laughs> these pieces of pieces of legislation. Well, I look forward to seeing uh, <laughs> what the governor does. I'm like, like most folks, we assume that he's likely going to support this. But look, it, it is still, if you have not had a chance to reach out to the governor's office, it's important that you do that. Remember, that's a public record. And I can assure you there will be groups um, asking for the results of how many people called, how many texted, how many emailed, and what was it, because we know it's going to be overwhelmingly against because this uh, session was a stinker. So, Robert, let's let's dive into the uh, early voting uh, changes. And just to remind our listeners, um, early voting in this state uh, or absentee ballots that you can uh, do early. Uh, we have uh, we they they are tried to restrict that back uh, what a few years ago, and it was struck down in a lawsuit that Citizen Action and One Wisconsin Now were involved in. Actually, Josh Call was the attorney for that and will certainly be recusing himself going forward. Uh, but, Robert, uh, not only was there media this week about this from our attorneys, but I know you had a chance to speak to the attorneys. And uh, why don't you give our listeners an update on this part of the stinking bomb of the lame And duck. I have to be a little careful because attorney-client privilege, etc., um, and it's ongoing what the strategy is going to be, so I don't want to, but uh, the, the case will be pursued because this is a clear violation of U.S. District uh, Federal Court Judge James Peterson's ruling that struck down the original early voting restrictions. And so we feel, I mean, I think most listeners, unless they're a, a troll uh, to, the, to Battleground Wisconsin, believe that these things are a violation of uh, the, the original order that found it unconstitutional to restrict early voting in the way they did. And what's interesting is, is that just, uh, Judge Peterson actually answered this uniformity argument, which is their big argument. And Walker's already come out and said, it's about fairness. It just should be uniform. Early voting is great. I'm paraphrasing, but that's a close And, and real quick, just in case people don't know, the uniformity yeah. means we all get the same amount of days, no matter yeah. whether you have a million people in your city or, you know, 50 people, that right. somehow you, 10 days is all you need. And they made this argument that uh, that small towns and villages don't have the money to have this extensive early voting. Well, one solution might have been to give yeah, them the money. Give them the money. Oh, you know, they could apply for it because they don't. If the, if the people there don't want that extended, don't need it early voting, then then it wouldn't do it. But if it's a resource issue, how expensive would it be? But that's of course not the motivation here. Uh, so, Judge Peterson had said in his in his decision originally, uh, striking down Walker's earlier early vote restrictions that. These, that these claims about uniformity are hard to credit 
because they still tolerate a lot of other disparities in voting hours and other disparities in voting. And he thinks that they, the purported consistency is illusory. Rather than achieving uniformity, the provisions governing the hours for in-person absentee voting provided greater disparities from town to town. He concluded, and this is the important thing, that, the pri that one of the primary motivations for early voting restrictions was to limit the votes of African Americans and Latinos, and that that is an inappropriate motive, and that's partly why it's unconstitutional. And they have to provide some actual justification that is not a talking point, that does not just right. sound good, that actually gives some serious public purpose in doing this limitation, and they have none other than this talking point that, oh, we just want it to be uniform and it's about fairness. That's all there is. Uh, he called their justifications meager, so it's hard to see why Justice Peterson would now not see this as a violation of his original court decision. So, listeners, what will happen is when that glorious day where the ink pen of Governor Walker signs this part, this bill, I'm trying to remember which one of the three bills this one was in, and it isn't line item veto, uh, our, our attorneys plan to basically uh, go after this immediately and file immediately. Um, Robert, you brought up the judge, brought the great point that like, they say uniformity because now everybody gets 10 days, but they're very open about the idea that any municipality can have whatever hours they want, whenever they want, which yeah. obviously, no uniformity, which belies. It was all about shrinking the days, shrinking the amount of time that big cities with democratic <laughs> populations, and as, as the judge mentioned, largely communities of color, uh, where it's disproportionately impacted, are impacted by lower turnout. So it's very clear. Oh, and, and by the way, the, the other curious thing is the case is still alive, so a new case doesn't have to be filed. Uh, the case is on appeal for the other voting rights violations within, uh, within Walker's, the legal changes he made all aimed at voter suppression, our opinion. And so it's not like a new case needs to be filed here. This is still a live case. And the one decision that has been reached to toss out a voting rights provision, that is early voting, is now being violated. Uh, uh, but clearly by the lame duck and clearly Walker signal he's going to sign this because probably this is one of the top priorities of his real of the right wing backers that have made his career and will be important either to a future political career or to his future employment. If the governor has not, by the time you're listening to this, vetoed this, it is important that you reach out to his office. We really want to encourage you to do that. But we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are now joined by our organizer from North Central Organizing Cooperative, Joel Lewis. He's out of the Wausau area. Joel, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Matt. Well, we are excited to talk a little bit about our new, our, I should say, our governor-elect and his budget listening tour that he has started this week. He went to Green Bay. He was at the UW-Green Bay on Monday, I believe, and Tuesday, or no, yesterday, Wednesday, he was in Wausau. So, Joel, tell us a little bit about what this event was like and and why, why it was such a great event. Well, you know, the whole thing just blew me away from the beginning. Uh, first of all, they did it at the Wausau Labor Temple, which I think was, you know, signaled, you know, 
really signaled something. Uh, usually they do it at kind of a fancier venue, and so that was exciting. Uh, and the place was packed. I mean, it was just absolutely, <laughs> you know, at noon on a weekday, it's packed. Uh, and it wasn't just Democrats. There were, you know, folks from the county board uh, that I know are conservative that were there. And to me, it signaled a new era. Uh, you know, I've, I've been around since Walker got in. And I've kind of experienced this condescending tone that he has and other people in his party uh, and dodging uh, constituents that don't agree with them. Uh, and when Tony came in yesterday and had people from all walks in the room, it signaled, hey, I'm here to listen to everyone, not just uh, my supporters, which was exciting to me. So, Joel, are we to understand that Scott Walker never had an event at the Wausau Labor Temple? Yeah, <laughs> not that I'm aware of. <laughs> so, Joel... Tell us a little bit about how this all went and, and just kind of what were some of the discussion points and what, what, what is he hearing? And, 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 and again, a little bit about the event. Yeah, so um, everyone got in, uh, and Tony, uh, about five minutes after 12, I believe it was, uh, got up and spoke. Uh, and he was real brief, just basically thanking everyone for being there and kind of setting the tone uh, for how he wanted it to be and then explaining how the breakouts would work. Uh, and I think what was you know, most admirable is once everyone got into the breakout groups, and there was a breakout group for health care, uh, there was one for mass incarceration, there was one for environmental issues, public education, and so there was all these different groups, and Tony actually went around to each listening group that also had a, a mediator that's working with his team uh, and facilitator, and, you know, actually uh, sat in and listened and made sure to take notes, and they've, um, you know, were really thorough about it, and I've never really seen anything quite like it from, you know, a high-ranking <laughs> I got to tell you, Joel, I've been doing this work even before the Republican takeover, and I don't recall anyone ever having that kind of listening session where literally you had breakouts and, and the pictures of the governor sitting in, <laughs> governor-elect sitting in these breakouts and clearly listening, right? Like an engaged governor was, I got to say, I've never, I've not seen anything like it. I think it's amazing. And I think it stands in marked contrast to what we experienced last week and the way the Republicans are doing business, where it's in the dark at night, stuff that wasn't public concerns, none of this stuff was anything talked about in the election, whereas those issues you just brought up, those are issues I, we heard about in the election. They're in the main of what people care about. And so, it, it, to me, just really impressive. And in fact, the one thing they did talk about in the election, they promises on previous conditions, didn't happen. So the top issue right. in the election didn't even happen, Joel. Right, yeah, that's very unfortunate. And uh, and I guess it is, it's, you know, it, it's it's um, it's really positive to see that this governor is listening to us, and uh, it's going to be, you know, I think a lot a lot different than previously, um, and it'll be interesting to see him work with the two houses uh, in the state. So, um, but I also want to make a mention that there were a lot of our uh, North Central Organizing Co-op members in attendance, uh, and and we had at least one or two in each breakout group, um, and so that was really exciting to see as well. I was really happy to see such a, a good turnout from our members. Yeah, I saw Trisha Zinnaker uh, was there. Trisha and Zunker. Zunker, excuse Zunker, me, yeah. yeah. And she's on the school board, so I'm sure it's helpful to have someone like that offering insight on, the, on education policy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep, she definitely uh, led the charge. And then we also had Tony Gonzalez, who is not a member, but he uh, represents some of the Hispanic uh, community up here, and he was also very vocal and involved. And so, yeah, it was just all over the board uh, as far as the issues and the types of people that were there speaking. Joel, so tell our listeners, um, obviously you mentioned that there were a lot of co-op members there. For folks who maybe aren't as familiar with our co-ops or particularly the North Central co-op, tell us a little bit more about 
uh, your the co-op that you're helping organize, and not only, but sort of geographically where it is and how, how someone might get involved? Sure. Uh, so a little under two years ago, we started an organizing cooperative where we basically need about 300 people uh, paying into, into the organization with a monthly contribution of $20 a month. Uh, and then uh, we are involved in issue-based organizing about 80% of the time, and then we do uh, use that kind of movement politics issue-based organizing to find candidates that support the issues that our members and our organization support. Uh, and we don't just get involved in the partisan elections. We were also heavily involved in the spring elections. Uh, remind folks we had 16 of our co-op members run for school board, city council, or county board. Uh, and we had uh, four of our co-op members run for assembly races here in the recent elections. And so, you know, it's kind of a, everything that we can work on, we will. And the beautiful thing about it is many of our members are also extremely active in their own worlds and in their own ways. And so it's also kind of a coming together of groups and a coming together of, of different uh, entities. And so it's just really been powerful. Uh, and I hope that people uh, that are in the North Central region, which is uh, the Highway 10 corridor, uh, is where our southernmost uh, part of the region is. So that's Wapaka, Wood, and Portage County. And we go as far north uh, as Sawyer County, as far west as Russ County and as far east as Langlade currently. Uh, and so if uh, anybody that's living in those areas wants to get involved and wants to be active with our co-op, uh, please get a hold of us. Um, my phone number is 715-551-2525, or you can email me at joel.lewis at citizenactionwi.org. Joel, you mentioned really something really important about um, not only the coming together of folks that are across sort of the progressive spectrum in, in the cooperative, but also your attention to finding, recruiting, and helping support candidates that are running for office. And for people who have do dove in after the election and sort of looked at the state and where we performed, Wausau in central Wisconsin, all, you know, Stevens Point, all that area you talked about, is a really important area where we, we've had a decimation of a lot of progressive infrastructure, labor, and a lot of, uh, through, through Governor Walker um, and through the aughts, um, and it's, a, it's an area where we need more organization like the co-op to try to build back progressive, progressive power in an area where we don't have any anymore. Uh, it was a tough, tough state legislative election um, this cycle, um, and this is an area where we used to have Dave Obie, Russ Decker. There were, um, there were uh, Democrats who got elected, and it's, it's an area over time. Yeah, so it's an area over time that we need to, like, really in a in a thoughtful organizing way change the way we're structured and organized up there and the co-op's an excellent uh, uh vehicle for that right and and i want to add matt that you know i hear uh, quite frequently over the years in, in north central wisconsin and even further up north that you know no one comes and listens to us they just come and tell us what's going on Milwaukee and madison are the only people that are represented that kind of uh, attitude and the co-op offers a chance to change that. We're here to listen, and we're here to help uh, push the, the issues that matter to folks. But obviously, Tony Evers has the same kind of mindset, right? He's coming out, and he's going to listen to us. So I hope that you'll all uh, get involved and be heard. So for our listeners who are in different parts of the state, we have additional listening sessions for Tony Evers coming up. Monday, he'll be in Superior. So <laughs> the, all five of you listening in Superior, you better get out. Uh, he'll be in Milwaukee next week and also in La Crosse. We'll have links uh, with information where you can register uh, and attend those. Quick question, Joel, about the listening sessions. Did Governor Evers reveal anything that surprised you, either about policy 
like healthcare or about how we might handle the clearly hostile state legislature and Mr. Fitzgerald and Voss? Uh, no, actually, because he didn't do a lot of talking. He he really just listened. Uh, and so, no, nothing, I, I guess that's a surprise me. <laughs> Most politicians come in and talk and talk. He did not. He came in, gave it, and then sat and listened to everyone. Well, again, that is obviously extremely refreshing, and as I mentioned earlier, a marked contrast to what happened last week in the lame duck. That's so unfair. They're great <laughs> listeners, Matt. They listen to Charles Koch. They listen to David Koch. They listen to Alec. <laughs> so, Joel, obviously want to thank you and uh, your co-op members for uh, organizing some great turnout and uh, helping hopefully provide some needed insight uh, uh, from regular people in, in the North Central area. Well, thank you so much, Matt, and I appreciate you having me on this morning. Well, great, Joel. Uh, we will see you down the road. And with that, we got to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really fortunate to have a formal, uh, excuse me, a former <laughs> Battleground Wisconsin. Both former <laughs> and formal. I am very formal these days. <laughs> Battleground Wisconsin <laughs> panelist, Jorna Taylor. Jorna, welcome. It is great to be back. Yeah, it's been a little while. In a while. formal setting. Here. Yeah, Jorna's very dressed up because <gasps> the reason we have Jorna with us today is Jorna is in charge of the inaugural events, and so we brought her in to tell y'all a little bit about what's going on, all of the stuff that's going on, and then how you can get involved. So, Jorna... And I'm trusting it won't be like the Trump inaugural, there won't be any investigations. Uh, I should really hope not. <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's fun to be here, and as you mentioned, Matt, I am the... Uh, party planner-in-chief, I guess, to help celebrate this fantastic new administration that we have coming in in Wisconsin here. It's been since sometime in the 80s since Wisconsin has had all five statewide constitutional officers as Democrats. And so, you know what? That is something that we are going to celebrate. So quiz listeners, can you name all five of those offices? Oh, you probably can now because Sarah Godlewski educated us about the treasurer's office <laughs> last don't cycle. Don't forget Douglas Oh, we just no. did. We just did. Sorry, we Robert. Did not. We did <laughs> I'm not. Kidding. I, I'm here to joke. Keep, keep going, Jorna. Tell us more about the exciting things with our five new statewide electeds. So we have a whole um, variety of events that are really designed to showcase the priorities, the excitement, and the celebration of this incoming administration. We are going to kick off the celebration on January 5th, which is Saturday, in Madison with a kids gala in Madison for children and families to come and, and party it up with DJs and face painting and educational opportunities, science projects, all sorts of stuff. And what's the age group for that? My 17-year-old nephew too old for that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, Robert. I, I, I met mean, him. Robert, I don't think you're too old for that. <laughs> okay. Robert's uh, into face oh, painting. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's aimed at kids who are anywhere from, you know, three to ten years old, but we certainly will not exclude anybody from joining in the fun. 
So we're going to start off in Madison with a kids gala at the Children's Museum. We're going to come over to Milwaukee that day for another kids gala in Milwaukee at Discovery World from 3 to 5 p.m. Ah, good place. Special good location. Guest, special guest Bango will be there. Nice. Uh, then on oh. Sunday, we are heading up to the Fox Valley and we will be at a, we'll be hosting a kids gala in Appleton at the Fox Valley Performing Arts Center from noon to 2. And then on Monday starts the official events where we actually swear in the governor at the state capitol. On Monday? On Monday, January 7th. 7th, folks. So just in case you want to go visit the capitol, what time? Uh, the events will start at 11. The program there will be over around 1 o'clock. Tickets are incredibly, incredibly limited. So we are looking at how we can arrange the best opportunities for the public to be involved in that, which will include some live streaming on our Facebook page and on other opportunities for folks at home to make sure that they feel a part of that ceremony because it's in the state capitol and it, there's only so many people that it's fit there. It's a very there. limited place. We've, and, and we've a, packed it a few times over the last decade. Am I correct that because they made that change and took away the chief justiceship from Shirley Abrahamson that... Patience Rogensack will be administering the, the pledge swearing in? Uh, I We have not worked all through the logistics okay. of that program. <laughs> oh, no. wow. We have all not right. worked through the logistics of all that program. But uh, then that evening, we invite you all to join us at the Monona Terrace for the big Madison Gala, where we're going to have multiple levels of music, so there'll be something for everybody. We will have... Are the Wildridge Brothers playing? <laughs> Not yet. Oh, Brian. Come uh, on. How'd you miss that one? Jeez. <laughs> and it'll be a really great representation and celebration of everybody who has worked so hard to get here and to lead Wisconsin forward. And tickets can be found for $35 on our website at ourwisconsinourvalues.org. So... Our Wisconsin, ourvalues.org, will have all of this information and even more. And people should know, all proceeds are going to Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Metro Milwaukee. And I was just with them before I came here this morning, and I cannot tell you how great the people over there are and the great work that they're doing every day. So how big is the terrace? How many people do you think we can fit in? I assume this is, we're not, are we going to... We gonna fill it up? I hope so. All right. I think we're on pace to do that, but get your tickets early because once we run out of space, then unfortunately we won't be able to just pack more people in like we did so at the Capitol. I have during a Act very, time. very important question. Yes, Robert. What will be the beer selection? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I will make sure my team gets right on it and you gets this, every you could deputize Robert. This you could deputize is, Robert. This is Wisconsin. <laughs> and there's a tremendous selection okay. of oh, craft beers and union beers throughout Wisconsin. So, so <laughs> what you're saying is that you only want Spotted Cow on demand. No, no, we want we want the union beers as well. So there's some really good Lineys varieties and Millers, <laughs> but then also locally sourced beers that are made in local communities here in Wisconsin. Well, I, I will have somebody on my team reach out to you for yes. your suggestions. Thank you so much for your input. It to is the win <laughs> Oh, Central Waters. I'm has stepping a good one. in. I'm okay. stepping in as the deputy that. director of this organization. Yes. If you call Robert and get him talking about beers, we don't have time for that. No, our, I don't. Our either. organization will shut down if Robert is deputized to lead the beer. I and mean, there, oh, that's <laughs> why I'm sending a staff member to do it. Thank you. And those are the close friend of ours who I won't uh, say publicly on the air, but uh, she wants wine that doesn't make her pucker. As you know. <laughs> so, well, I have no worries about that. 
Are we going? What What else do we have? Is that it? Is that the end? Uh, is that is, is that, that the, the exci- end? Is I'm that just, is that it? <laughs> only the beginning. I'm just kidding. I would. Well, so we are working really hard to make sure that this is a statewide right. celebration, and we're working with our partners at Big Brothers Big Sisters of Metro Milwaukee to create energy around the state, make sure that this is an accessible uh, inauguration and celebration, because this really is about all the people in Wisconsin. This isn't about these five constitutional officers who are being sworn in. This is not about elections necessarily being, you know, polarizing um, campaigns. It, it is about what is best for our kids and is what's best for our state and how we can make sure that the priorities that were voted in in November are showcased and celebrated, uh, not just right now, but throughout the year and throughout the next four years. What I like about this is it sounds very similar to what he's doing with these listening sessions, right? And it's just, it's, it is breathtaking to see the difference in terms of his orientation. And this isn't, this isn't an ideological policy thing left or right. It's just sort of how are you going to set yourself up? What you know? Are you going to prioritize listening, actually being more than just, as Robert likes to say, the person who's the bag person for the Koch brothers or whatever their interests are? And so I think we all kind of know what Tony Evers' kind of ideological perspective is, but what I think is the most impressive about him is, we talked about it with Joel, that he's willing to sit down, close his mouth, and actually listen to people, hear what they have to say, and and have that be sort of the vision of how we go forward as opposed to Tony knows best and uh, Tony and his group of special interests are going to decide exactly how the state goes forward. Well, longtime listeners and certainly you all in this room know that I'm a very cynical person when it comes to politics. I know, shock. Uh, But when I had the opportunity to work with Governor-elect Evers starting right after he won the primary, I'm sold. He is... He is a phenomenal human, and he's genuine, and he deserves this, and he works really hard, and he's approachable, and all of our other statewide constitutional officers are friends of mine that I'm proud to work with, and I'm proud to help celebrate because they are people who truly care. And, you know, we always say about government that we want it to be of the people and for the people, and that is what we have now. These are people that I sit across from, and I think, wow, you are phenomenal and you are going to lead us forward and you have big, bold, progressive ideas. And I'm so excited to be a part of this. One of those constitutional officers, I actually have some news this week for our listeners. I spoke with Sarah Godlewski at length this week and she has agreed to come on our show once a month uh, while she's state treasurer and talk about the office a bit and talk about what she's doing and bring some light and education to us about what's happening in the treasurer's office, all the big, bold things that she would like to do. Because uh, it's going to be an education process for us. One, we haven't governed in a decade. But two, I don't think any of us ever I thought about the treasurer's office. I was joking earlier. Uh, there's a little bit of truth to that. And so I'm really happy uh, to announce that she will be coming on and helping us learn and help co-govern with her and support her as she actually and does things for the people as a state treasurer. And she's a Citizen Action co-op member, so she's an activist like us. And you could say that she's the second founder of the office because it was literally about to go away. Right, until she stepped in. A lot of people worked with her, but she really took the lead on that. And so now now she's going to make use of the office, which is what progressives do. They make our democracy work. And she's working hard. So, Jorna, 
thanks for coming in. And on very short notice, I called you this morning, coming in and letting our listeners know more about this. We really hope everyone can get involved uh, in the inaugural. And again, if you can't, also try to attend one of these budget listening sessions. Jorna, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our website, ourwisconsinourvalues.org. And we'll have links to all that on the webpage. But we got to get out of here. You are listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are going to continue looking forward to 2019. We did that a little bit last week, talking to uh, Supreme Court candidate Lisa Neubauer. And uh, today we're going to talk to one of our members who is a founding member of our Northeast Wisconsin Organizing Cooperative, and he's currently a state legislator, and that is Eric Genrich. And we're talking to him because he's running for mayor of Green Bay. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Morning, guys. Good morning. And so what we want to hear from you a little bit about why you decided to jump into this mayor's race. Yeah, so as you know, you know, I've been serving in the state legislature for uh, three terms now, almost six years, and, uh, and really enjoyed my service there in spite of uh, the many challenges that we're all aware of. Um, but just felt like this is a really pivotal time for the city of Green Bay, um, an opportunity to really take things to the next level. Um, we haven't had a, a proudly progressive mayor of Green Bay in my lifetime, um, but we are, you know, a city that is that is changing, that is moving forward, and I think it's time to have political leadership that really reflects a lot of those new ideas and perspectives, while also, you know, of course, honoring all the traditions that, that make us such a great town. Hey, Eric, this is Robert. Um, what do you think the, that's going in, uh, the big issue is going to be in this race, especially for a statewide audience? I know f- folks in Green Bay are well aware of the, the big local issues, but just tell everyone else what's going on in Green Bay and what, what you think the issues will be and what some of your big priorities would be uh, if and when elected. Right. I mean, I think similar to a lot of communities around the state, aging infrastructure is a big concern. The quality of the roads has, has definitely deteriorated in the city of Green Bay over the, the past few years. And, uh, you know, like I said, that's not unique to Green Bay. Um, a lot of that is due to the, the lack of support from the state level. Um, city of Green Bay, on an annual basis, and when you adjust for inflation, is down $20 million in state aid going back to the year 2000. Um, and, you know, like I said, this is a, a crisis for communities all across the state. But, um, you know, part of the role, I think, of this next mayor needs to be one of advocacy with our state government uh, to raise the voice of local communities all around the state and and make the case for for real strong support and aid for local communities. And and so when we talk about infrastructure, you know, it also, of course, goes beyond roads. We we have an aging um, wastewater and and water infrastructure, stormwater infrastructure here. Um, But we also want to focus on on things like green infrastructure, um, like our parks, um, things of that nature, because those those quality of life issues are key. And I think what we need to do is focus on, you know, building a a, a forward-looking community, one is one that's resilient uh, and vibrant. And, and so that's one of the big ones. Of course, also building a, a vibrant and uh, an inclusive economy is something that we've we've talked a lot about. I've looked to to Corey Mason and Racine and, and some of his uh, his micro loan programs for small businesses uh, would like to adopt something similar here, um, and also focus on a comprehensive housing strategy um, to make it you know make it 
possible for all folks who are interested in, in living in this community to have an affordable place to, to live and raise their family. Yeah, there's the raised housing because that's becoming a, a big national issue. Obviously, it, it, it's kind of perceived as some issue only for big cities, but actually it's become an issue in, in, in small cities, even towns and rural areas, and, there, and there's a lot of national legislation that's kind of being developed by Democrats. Uh, what are you thinking about, well, first of all, how, what, what the situation is in Green Bay about affordable housing and how the city might help alleviate that? Yeah, I mean, our, our housing prices, especially when you compare them nationally, you know, they're very affordable, but the quality of our housing stock could definitely be improved, especially when you're talking about um, some of our, our central city neighborhoods or downtown near east and west sides. Um, you know, we have some, some really uh, fantastic housing nonprofits, Habitat for Humanity and NeighborWorks Green Bay that are working in this area. Um, but I think there are some, some innovative solutions that we could bring to bear um, you know, community land trusts are a model that I've uh, I've been become familiar with over the past few years, and, and we don't have something like that in Green Bay. But I, the great thing about community land trusts is that you, you know, you are able to to maintain affordability over a number of years while also maintaining that quality. Um, so it's it's a, a pretty intriguing model and, and something that I'd like to entertain for the city. I, I know there's limits to what a city can do because you're in a larger state and a larger economy, uh, but as far as having, you know, a good supply of family-supporting jobs, so has, has economic opportunity, what's kind of the situation in Green Bay, and what are some of your thoughts on the role can city, can city can actually play in economic development that benefits average people rather than kind of being centered on projects for developers? Right. Well, I think, you know, some of this infrastructural investment uh, comes into play when you, when you talk about family supporting jobs. So, um, you know, our hope is that there will be uh, good quality jobs associated with those investments. I, I think it also matters, you know, how a city goes about contracting um, for those services, um, you know, ensuring that those who are doing the work on these projects are being uh, paid a, a livable wage and, and good quality benefits and have access to apprenticeship programs. Um, you know, I think that that kind of stuff is, is really essential. Now, of course, as you alluded to, the, the home rule um, powers of cities and, and local communities have, have been eroded to some extent over the past few years by, by our legislature. So we are hemmed in to some extent, but um, but that would be the focus of mine, is making sure however we're going about um, making these investments that, that we are making sure that the jobs associated are, are good quality. Glad to hear you talk about that, Eric. Um, Milwaukee's an area where there's been a lot of work done to try to make sure that economic development uh, benefits not only new uh, contractors, uh, you know, uh, minority firms, uh, disadvantaged firms, and that we hire from our from our communities and make sure that folks get higher local hire things like that. Looking at wage standards, how do you get and diversify the trades? Um, and so I'm really glad to hear you're thinking about that. There's a lot of uh, potential lessons or uh, models here in Milwaukee. Uh, and part of it, too, is just creating a culture where that's how we do business. Uh, and that, that is something that takes a little time to change. A lot of our listeners uh, who maybe haven't visited Green Bay in a while, it is a very different city than the Green Bay you may have known 20, 30 years ago. Uh, it is becoming a much more diverse city. And talk about that as it relates to uh, 
the new Green Bay and how that connects to kind of creating an economy that can, you know, lift all these folks' boats and create opportunity for everyone. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point. You know, over the last uh, 15, 20 years, Green Bay has become uh, much more diversified, especially when you're talking about our, our Latino population, which has grown substantially over these last few years. And, and one of the focuses um, that I will, you know, make sure to, to put on uh, this work is, is to make sure that Green Bay is an open and, and welcoming community. Um, if you are interested in doing good here, um, you need to be welcomed with open arms, and, and that, um, you know, that is something that will be a huge focus for us. So, yeah, obviously, the mayor has appointing authority for boards and commissions and for department heads, and I think it's absolutely essential that our city leadership looks like our community um so that will you know that's going to be a, a huge priority as well that's great we really commend you for that eric and uh quite frankly it, it makes it a stronger community and a more prosperous community uh if if your definition of being a member of the community is 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 broad and diverse and includes everyone who wants to be a part of it and who lives there. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, if you're not including all perspectives and all experiences, you're, you're just missing out. So, it's, you know, that, that runs the gamut from, um, from people who have been here a couple weeks to the, you know, the small business owner that's born and raised in this community. Um, so we want to make sure that everybody is represented and has a voice. Yeah, and let me ask you one other kind of follow-up on infrastructure and building. There's obviously a lot of thought going on in cities, given that the Trump administration has pulled out the Paris, of the Paris Climate Accords, and we know people are fact-based that there's a major climate problem, that there's a way to align economic development and, and building new infrastructure with actually reducing carbon impacts. So we're creating uh, a more prosperous economy and more good jobs at the same time that we're uh, doing our part to try to prevent a climate catastrophe, because right now it's almost, it's on Wisconsin cities uh, and other cities around the country to, to kind of take up the slack on that when we have with this president and we have the current legislature we're going to have for the next two years. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very good point. Um, would absolutely love to to have Green Bay considered a, a climate city. Um, I think we have communities all across the state of Wisconsin who have joined in that effort. Most recently, I noticed that the, the city of Eau Claire won a $180,000 grant um, to put into action their commitment to, to clean energy by 100% clean energy by 2050. Um, we just started up uh, a sustainability commission here in the city of Green Bay, so I, I firmly believe that the next mayor needs to be committed to the ideas and policies that are going to come out of that, that homegrown commission um, and implement those policies that you referenced, because I think there is a great opportunity to both spur the economy and build that, that resilient um, city when you're talking about, uh, you know, solar and wind power, but also um, some stormwater green infrastructure that is going to be key when we are seeing, you know, more and more of these extreme rain events, um, obviously down in Madison to a huge extent this past fall, but also in Green Bay, we had some, some very serious flooding. Well, Eric, we want to thank you for well, first being a member of our co-op and creating a vision for the region, for progressives, but uh, ob obviously also for running for, for mayor and taking the time to join us today. Before you go, just let our listeners know if uh, they want to help or get involved uh, in your campaign, what they should do. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, we do have an event coming up this weekend um, to circulate some nomination papers. So we have an open house at our uh, campaign office. You can find us on Facebook at Eric Genrick for Green Bay or Genrick for GB.com. Uh, find out some more details there. Um, we're really excited to have a good number of co-op members involved in the effort. As you mentioned, I'm a, a proud member myself. Um, and uh, just see this, again, as, as a great opportunity to, uh, to move the city forward and really incorporate, um, you know, the, all those voices that, that feel as though they might not have been represented in the past. So, again, we want to thank all of our special guests on this Battleground Wisconsin. That includes Joel Lewis, our organizer in North Central Wisconsin, and Jorna Taylor, our former panelist, who is leading the inaugural for our new governor, Tony Evers. But with that, we got to wrap up this podcast. I want to thank Brian Woldridge, our producer, who makes it happen every week, and we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Bye.